0: Hello and welcome to the VPAR podcast, brought to you by the world's number one golf app, providing golfers with live scoring technology, GPS yardages, stats, tracking, and challenges, enabling you to compete against your mates and other golfers from all corners of the globe. The VPAR app is free to download and available on iOS and Android. Hello and welcome to the V Park podcast brought to you by the V Park Golf Scoring App. I'm Ben Munro-Davis. With me to discuss the most infuriating game in the world is a world champion, an exile whose son is now on the verge of playing for the old enemy, and an athlete who in his late 40s had a very nasty health scare, which he's written and spoken about to raise awareness. I'm delighted to say we're joined by the former Australian fly half, Michael Liner. Michael, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Ben. Nice to be here and nice to see you.
0: Yeah good to see you too Michael. I always start this podcast the same way. When did you first pick up a golf club?
1: Oh gosh I think it's probably in my late teens. Um, maybe even when I started going to to um, university in Brisbane and uh, I found it was much more pleasurable to turn left um, to go to the golf course as opposed to turning right and go down to the university to do lectures. So Um, But I think I was probably around 16 or 17, something like that, where I started to have a bit of an interest. Um, Interestingly enough, early on, um, my father was a very keen golfer. And so I used to pick up his clubs and chip around the back garden and go out with him and caddy and that sort of stuff. The problem being was he he was a left-hander. So... So for the, my first sort of formative years, I played played left handed um, because that was that was the clubs I had. But seriously, probably around sixteen or seventeen, I started enjoying the game a lot more.
0: Before then, was it squeezed out by other sports? Were you um were you playing rugby all the time from the sort of as cities you could walk?
1: Yeah, not well. Rugby, no. I first played cricket and and, and football, soccer. All um, right, Australia, as it's called. Um, and then. You know rugby league and 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 rugby union. We moved to Brisbane in um, when I was about uh, ten or eleven, and the school I went to there played rugby union, and that's what I did in the winter. I was a cricketer though mainly. So most yeah, you're right. Most of the weekends were taken up with um, with sport and and other other interests. To be honest, I think my father tried to get me involved in golf early on, um, but I wasn't so interested in caddying. I was more interested in hitting the ball, but it didn't really take hold until I was, as I said, around 16 or 17. And particularly at university, when I sort of did try and find excuses for not going to lectures, etc., which included surfing and golf.
0: <laughs> and um did you uh, develop quite a rival with your dad on the course?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was it's um I think I learned sort of to well he, he was very good at sort of teaching him to get how to play the game and play properly and all that sort of thing but being a left-hander it was difficult for him to sort of teach me or anything like that so I, I actually played around with um you know people of my age you know assistant pros and things like that at the golf club in, in Brisbane and that, that's where I sort of learnt the game um I probably should have continued playing with them to learn a little bit more but um yeah, it was it was it was something that we as a family um tend to do. Um, you know, it was always around golf. You know, my father was very keen, so it was always a good thing to do when he visited here or I went to Australia. We'd always sort of play a bit of golf.
0: And when you were playing rugby and on tour and stuff, were the golf clubs always in the uh uh always arriving with you at the airport? Um, that probably wouldn't have got me
1: selected in the team if I arrived at the airport with a set of golf clubs. Um <laughs> However, um, the the big problem with rugby, I found, was that a lot of the time, rugby's a winter sport, so wherever we toured, um, the the conditions, as we've found over here in the last sort of two or three months, they're they're not very conducive to playing golf. Um, However, um, we did, there was a group of guys throughout my career that you'd always, if we had an afternoon off or a day earlier in the week, um, we'd try and get out to the local golf course, et cetera, you know that was that was a great thing about touring back in the day was that you know if you wanted to play golf there was opportunities to do so and we played some great courses in in a lot of different parts of the world which was which was terrific and um yeah i think i still you know there's still quite a few rugby players that play a lot of the, play a lot of golf since those days and
0: uh that's kept going how much do you play now
1: not enough um <laughs> Uh, what it's, it's it? quite, I, I've, I've always tried to sort of play regularly, but it never, ha- never occurs. And, uh, now over the last couple of years, it's been very difficult to, well, all of my own making, I've just been very busy with family and, and, and work and things like that. The weather had you know, sometimes I mean, the weather, like, as we said earlier over Christmas, it's, It. I was trying to play, but the weather just wasn't conducive to it. So um, I'd probably play on average throughout the year, probably once or twice a month. That's probably about it. But I could go uh, um, playing without without playing for two or three months, and then just go out and have a little spate of games and and uh, not play well enough because I just haven't done that, you know, haven't done practice or haven't played. So I'm actually trying to play this Friday afternoon, which will be the first time since uh, early November.
0: Well, make make sure make sure you wrap up and. Yeah. and uh, how much is your game? And let's talk about. Um, I, m- I mentioned it in the intro. What what happened to you about ten years ago? I think it is now. But um, so I think you lost some of your vision. But why do you tell our listeners what happened? You were in Australia and you started feeling ill.
1: Yeah, I was. Um, I travelled out to Australia, and I'll, I'll try and make it a bit shorter. But I had all sorts of issues on the travel. I missed a plane the first and only time, and um, it was quite stressful and all that sort of thing. Anyway, I'd, my main purpose was going to Singapore to to do a charity dinner there, which I did, and then flew on to Australia. And um, so it was quite a hectic sort of two or three days, including missing a plane and spending 14 hours at uh, the Dubai airport waiting for the next one. Um, anyway, I, I was at dinner in Brisbane on on on, um, on the Monday evening after arriving that morning and playing a bit of golf with my dad and a couple of friends. And uh, it was just a, a social dinner with... Eight or nine of my school ex-schoolmates and um, basically uh somebody well, it was a quiet night, you know, we'd had a couple of beers, a couple of light, but I'd only had two light beers. We'd had something to eat. It was about 8:30, and we were just about to go home. And uh somebody at the end, one end of the table was telling a joke, and I I took a sip of beer as as the punchline came out, and like we've all done, I sort of choked and coughed as the beer went down the road um wrong way, as I laughed at the joke and uh and then it was that was it that was that um, it was quite a heavy ch- um, sort of coughing fit, and uh, it it burst the back right artery of my um in my in my head, and that it caused the stroke. So the stroke was uh, quite substantial, and uh, that sort of set me on a different path to to what I was planning to do in Brisbane at that time. And I, I was basically in hospital for about two months. And um, with, with well, what a, did it
0: what was it what does it so what does it feel like? I mean, so what 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 happens? Um. Well, I I sort of lost sight,
1: and that was my first inkling. inkling. You know, I had this really um, lost, sort of lost. I sort of finished coughing, and chose, you know, carrying on, and then I couldn't see. And almost at the same moment, it was felt like some somebody hit me in the back of the head with a baseball bat, and. Um, I was sort of sitting at the end of the table with my, you know, trying to understand what was going on. Um, And I was still sort of conscious and, but I couldn't see and I had this huge pain in the back of my head. Um, And I just thought it was a sort of a lack of oxygen or something like that. So I had my head in my hands trying to shake my head a little bit, trying to clear. And I just thought, you know, I'm tired, I'm jet lagged, I'm lack of oxygen, that sort of thing. And, interesting a guy beside me who used to play prop in the first 15 at school he was a physio now and um he looked at me and said are you okay and i said just give me a moment and then he literally probably was the savior and said you want us to call an ambulance because at that time you know how many old schoolmates and particularly front row forwards would say, I'll oh, toughen up line, I have another beer and I'll drop you home later, sort of thing. But he said, Do you want me to call an ambulance? And I and I gave him the correct answer, which was yes, because I didn't know what was going on. Anyway, the ambulance arrived very quickly. We we're right in central Brisbane. And um they put me on the ground and uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I remember quite clearly, um, the young waitress who was looking after us in the evening there was nobody else really in the place it was outside and um she came over and started you know oh my god what's going on etc etc and one of my friends said oh don't worry love we think it was the steak and <laughs> I, I i started to laugh and the the the, the ambulance men the, the doctors or um emergency people basically said don't laugh don't move don't and i thought oh god anyway i thought we went to the hospital and I thought it was, once again, it was just like this, they'll give me a pill, go home, have a rest, you're tired, and, you know, you've overdone it in terms of travel and jet lag and all that sort of thing. And um, But no, they've said we've got to operate and all that sort of thing. And that's when I sort of first realised it was pretty serious. And 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 I was, I, I, I sound like I was sort of, you know, feeling well at this stage. I wasn't. I was far from well and... Um, but I was still functioning and, um, you know, I could speak and I could understand what was going on, albeit I couldn't see and I was in a great deal of pain. Um, but then sort of things became quite hazy after that when they, you know, there was a lot of sort of, uh, you know, killing drugs, et cetera. And it took me about four or five days for me to come out of that and gradually my condition um, improved. Um, it went one way as it could, have, or it could have gone the other way. It was pretty close. So, yeah. um, and then no, once recovery. I got out, out of the, the ICU, it was um, the recovery was quite good. I was very lucky in that um, when these things happen, it's sort of you get lucky or you don't, and um, it depends what you know gets hit. And I was very lucky, and the doctors couldn't explain it. But all I lost was a, sort of a quite a bit of my peripheral vision to the left. And you know, some there was some. I had some funny feelings in my arms and legs down my left, but nothing permanent. Um, and but the the, the vision's still impaired, but you deal to to um to uh, deal with that. And uh, I, I, well, it does have I, issues, but yeah. you know, you wouldn't know it to see see me now. And uh, I didn't play talking about golf. I didn't play golf probably for about two years after that, and um, it did affect my, you know. <laughs> game but that was the least of my worries a little bit and uh, <laughs> I remember it, it affected my putting quite a bit but not not so much I, I couldn't see sort of and I still can't see a lot of undulations in greens and things like that and I'm probably giving away a secret for anyone who plays golf with yeah. me but um, my putting is, is the, the is next time
0: you beat me I think oh my god I've lost someone who can't see yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right and it's you know,
1: putting to the left and I, I you know it's, it, my alignment is not I just can't get my alignment right. So, but some but of my, just, my friends just, that I play, with, some of my friends that I play with, they won't give me a putt even if it's a half a foot long. You know, they know oh, I have well, line is useless; he'll miss that.
0: You 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 find out who your friends are when uh, when right. you when you when you're bad at short putts. Uh, um, and just going back to what happened, I mean, was there anything you could have done about it? Is just a genetic thing? Is it uh, is there anything yeah, you can do, they, if it, they, people was, can do to avoid it in future? Is it just being aware of it?
1: The, the first thing I asked was an, an old rugby injury, you know, the, and the doctor said highly unlikely um, because I hadn't played at that time for, gosh, um, you know, 10, 14 years, something like that. So um, it was I would have had symptoms before it if that was the case and I hadn't. So um, they seemed to think it was just a, a, a you know, a, a perfect storm of bad luck, um, the whole story about, you know, lack of sleep, playing golf twice in Singapore and Brisbane over a three-day period and, you know, just... And then at that time when, you know, muscles and things were tight from sleeping on planes and and just when I took a sip of beer at the wrong time and when the joke was being told um, or the punchline and uh, those things all came together and it just sort of burst the back right artery. And they said that... You know, no real other reason than just this sort of combining of, of of events that just culminated in, in a, in a, in a, in a stroke. Um, Had I not coughed um, or spluttered or drunk that beer, then who knows what would have happened? I may have been fine.
0: Yeah. And I I guess the lesson is if you're feeling dizzy and something happens to your sight or you get a headache, get to hospital, don't mess about, don't think uh...
1: even, even sort of things like, you know, migraines, if somebody suffers from migraines, that's, you know, got to get them checked out you know make sure that they're not signs of mini strokes to come and uh you know so anything to do with that don't mess around at all
0: yeah and uh, uh did, did it change you as a person it's, it's quite a traumatic experience i imagine
1: um yeah I, i've sort of been asked this question a lot and i i sort of I don't know the answer to it, but I always say that, you know, a lot of times when people have these sort of experiences, they say, oh, I'm going to live every day as it comes. I'm you know going to love and enjoy life and all that sort of thing. I'd like to think that I sort of did that a little bit beforehand. I I knew I had a pretty good life. I was pretty lucky and I enjoyed things and that sort of thing. So I don't think I needed a stroke to remind me that, but that's what happened. So it did remind me. Um, And I, I guess you know, it, 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 I, it's maybe made me a little bit mellower. I think. Um, but some people who know me now probably find that hard, hard to, uh, hard to understand, but it, in terms of every now and then I get very frustrated about things, um, you know, and I, it's, it's sort of that, that sort of comes out, but, um, you know, cause you go through highs and lows and sometimes the, the highs are very good and the lows are very bad. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I really suffered that too much before the the stroke. But understanding that and understanding your body and what you have to do and when you're going into those sort of periods is is quite important. Trying to maintain that equ- equilibrium a little bit better rather than going up and down all the time. So, um no, you, I, you uh, know, yeah. I hope I'm I'm just you know what it did do. I helped, I think was helped me understand a little bit of the importance of, you know, the family around me and all that sort of thing. But, um, I, I sort of knew that was pretty important beforehand. As I said, I didn't really need the stroke to remind me of it.
0: Yeah. And finally, I mean, do you have to go to the checkups now or your medication and stuff like that, or is it just a sort distant nightmare?
1: Yeah. Um, well it's, it's sort of over, I think it's, this is the 11th year now. And, um, but yes, I, I, I am, ha- I have um medication that I take every day and, um, I monitor things pretty closely and if any, and I haven't had to go and visit um, um, a specialist or anything recently touch wood, but um, as I said earlier, if there's anything that sort of starts to go a little bit AWOL, um, I certainly make sure and go and get it checked up really quickly. That's happened a couple of times and I've made sure that that's what I've done because I you know, don't want to go through what I went through before and Try to be a little bit healthier as well around what I eat and, you know, what I drink or don't drink and that sort of thing. So just, you know, keeping exercise, but everything in sort of moderation is a good thing. But, yeah, monitor, monitor it very closely. And as I said earlier, don't mess around with things. Go and get them checked.
0: Yeah, Well, I think more golf is the key. That's the, the yes. my, my, my yes. main medical advice. Um, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about rugby, but we can talk about it. I mean, obviously, you played uh, very successfully and then you've been an analyst uh, for a long time, but you're sort of involved in the game now through your two sons. Um, ha- how's that experience uh, watching Louis and Tom follow in your footsteps?
1: Uh, it's really, um, it's quite rewarding, actually. Um, you know, even when they were, you know, younger ages and at school and that sort of thing. It was, I've always really enjoyed watching them play. I've got three boys. Um, Nick's still, he's 16 now. And so he's, he's going that way as well.
0: He's, oh, right.
1: he's a little player. So, but I enjoy watching him play. Um, Lewis has been out injured for quite a bit of time, um, frustratingly for him and for all of us, but he's due to come back pretty shortly, I hope. And, and Tom's out in Australia and um Doing very well there. Their season's just about to start out there, so hopefully um, he'll get his opportunity. Still only nineteen, he's with the Queensland Reds there. So, um, but yeah, very rewarding and very um, enjoyable to watch. And I, but I'd be saying that if it was you know if they were playing for you know whoever um, as opposed to being professional rugby players, I really just enjoy them um, playing team sports and enjoying themselves. Um, that's the main thing. Um, because... and how's how's
0: how's their experience of because they're professionals and you uh I think you retired just before professionalism came in but you're a, you're an old-fashioned amateur working and uh, training in the evening yeah uh, how's their experience as, of rugby compared to yours yeah pretty
1: different i <laughs> give it that but you know they're, they're, they're getting well paid for it for young kids um but it's a hard you know it's a hard life and as we speak now I'm very pleased that You know, Lewis is upstairs here at home. He's doing an exam, a university exam. So I'm very pleased that he's sort of, after a couple of years of deferring, that he's decided, you know, I do need to um, understand what I'm going to do after rugby finishes. So he's opening up his options by studying economics at university. And so I'm very pleased with that. Tom will hopefully follow in those footsteps. Um, It's very easy for young kids who, from, you know, 17, 18 years of age, straight out of school, go into these environments and high performance and, and, you know, they get, get rewarded pretty well, monetarily wise. Um, but it's a short career and you've got to realize that there's things to, you've got to have things to do afterwards. So it's about giving you a, yourself as many options as you can. Um, so they've, I think, you know, Lewis has realized that and um, Nick being at school still, I hope he realizes it. You know, you having, you've got to have options for yourself. You know, you just don't back yourself to do
0: one and And do you, do you think it's in a way less fun for them than it was for you? I mean, it's it's pretty serious now, isn't it?
1: It is pretty serious, but i you know I still think they have have their fun. I mean, for us it was it was it was a hobby really. You know we had to, as I mentioned, went to university, I worked during the week and then trained at night and played for Australia or Queensland on the weekends. it was, and you'd be back at work on the Monday morning, and it's hard to. You know, I tell my boys and others that now and it's hard to understand that life but that was just what it was and while it was deadly serious um we we you know there was um you know touring was a big part of it it was the one thing that rugby could give you that other sports couldn't really give you was this this touring whether it be on an amateur level or right up to an international level and you know, I was very fortunate to have done a lot of that and that was great fun. And those sort of friendships that you forge and memories on those sort of things is fantastic. But they're, you know, like Lewis has got different memories, you know, winning the, winning the premiership at Twickenham and scoring two tries by the time you're 19. That's a pretty fond memory as well for the young guy. So, you know it's it, it they're different it's a different environment but you know so it is at in all parts of society you know everything's changed and and that's good you know that's good you know it's got to move on we can't always go back to when I played you know <laughs> you know forty years ago whatever it was we, this is what we used to do because it's not relevant oh, today
0: that's the privilege of being a father you are allowed to do that yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> And uh, I, mean, I mean, we've talked about strokes and stuff like that, and obviously um, head injuries is a big issue uh, looming over the game. Uh, how's that as a father and watching it and seeing maybe some of your contemporaries well suffering now? I don't know. Um, uh, is, is that something you talk about with your boys?
1: Um, I wouldn't say we we talk about it in terms of we know right from when they were six or seven years of age that rugby was a contact sport. Um, and although an old coach of mine used to say, ballroom dancing is a contact sport, rugby's a collision sport. So it's probably the mm-hmm. better de- definition of, of rugby is it, it is a collision sport. Um, and, you know, so would I prefer my kids to play something else? Probably, you know, golf or tennis look pretty good to me. You know, it range you go inside and nobody's trying to tackle you or, you know, beat you up. But I think the rugby as a sport is, you know, it's... It, it's a great team sport. It's one that's given me everything. And, um, you know, the boys, are, it's their choice to do what they do. And they, um, are aware of the, the, the dangers of playing a sport like this. And, um, yeah, it'd be not, I, I, I do feel for, um, people who have injuries and, and, and have had sort of historic injuries as well. It's, it's a great shame. And, um, you know, the sport is trying to do things. I, I just hope that we can do it quicker and sooner rather than later to make it as safe as it possibly can be.
0: Yeah, And finally, I mean, I don't know, it's not impossible that at some stage you're going to be watching England v Australia, (laughs)
1: Lewis
0: playing for England, maybe Tom playing for Australia, one of them playing for Italy. What do you do? What does your heart do?
1: (laughs) Just close your eyes. Um, No, it is, is, uh, I guess it's a long shot. I don't know what the odds be would be given to to for that sort of thing to happen but it is a possibility i guess but as i keep saying to the boys you know that's you know playing internationally is a great thing to do and it's a great aim to have but to do that you know you need to be actually playing well for your club and doing all the things at that level and that'll all look after itself so you know um they've got ambitions and that's great to have but they've they've got they're pretty realistic about you know what they're doing but yeah it would be a great uh great day as we we, we tease nick a little bit because they're all eligible for both um italy australia and england yeah Bella, my wife are uh, italian so they're eligible to play for italy and uh so we joke with nick that he's the italian we're going to send him over to italy so we've got <laughs> one in each we've donated <laughs> one boy to each country so everybody's happy
0: <laughs> yeah brilliant uh michael what pleasure to talk to you thanks very much for talking to the vpar pod
1: Thanks Ben, nice to chat to you and look forward to playing again soon.
0: That's all from us. You can find more episodes on our podcast feed. But for now, thanks for listening to the VPAR podcast, brought to you by the slickest golf app in the game.